More Long John Baldry um, introduces our spot with uh, John Bonfilio, who has uh, all the news and a bit of the sport as well from uh, Latin America. Uh, John, thanks ever so much for joining us. Good evening, Martin. Now, tell me first of all, John, about uh, this new book, which details how uh, Donald Trump wanted to fire missiles into Mexico. Tell me about that. Oh, Donald Trump, the gift, the gift that doesn't <laughs> stop giving. <laughs> no. I, I mean, look, it's, especially in this part of the world, uh, I mean, it's amazing how, you know, the previous American administration, U.S. administration still, you know, is in the headlines to the extent that it is. And, and all the more so this week, because this is former Defense Secretary Mark Esper, who recounts how Donald Trump in the summer of 2020 had a particular fixation with the cartels and the flow of drugs south to north. And at one point he turned to him and suggested that maybe they should fire missiles, Patriot missiles into, uh, into Mexico in order to wipe out the drug labs, to which Mark Esper, you know, initially thought he was joking. And, and then apparently Trump said, whispered to him quietly into his ear, no one would know it was us. <laughs> That's brilliant. Um, I mean, and you know, what, what, sorry, go on. I was just going to say, these missiles, I mean, they're not toys, are they? It wouldn't be, I mean, it would destroy whole tracts of Mexico. It wouldn't just destroy whatever it was, you know, the cartel's camp or whatever. Yeah, and you, and the thing is, you don't, like, the, you know, the cartels don't have, uh, you know, a particular base in a particular area. or You know, it's not like a demarcated military zone that they're in. They're absolutely uh, everywhere in the, in the labs and the... You know the the operation centers and stuff are fundamentally you know in in towns and cities around the place. So it's not as though you can easily designate where you need to bomb anyway. So for sure, I mean you know notwithstanding the international illegality of just firing missiles into another country, uh, you know apropos of uh, of nothing and certainly without their permission, the fact that as you say it would do untold uh, levels of damage and cause you know, deaths and destruction to uh, to a huge extent uh, because it would be a very, very blunt tool. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, and people would know, <laughs> whatever he was yeah, into, yeah. people would know where they've come from. Um, <laughs> Who else is it going to be? I mean, yeah, it's not going to be Nicaragua. No. No, you know exactly. Um, now, there's only one member of our team here who's invested heavily into cryptocurrency, and I'm talking about Jed, who's uh, sitting on a huge pile of cryptocurrency. Um, tell me about um, El Salvador, because that's one of the... I mean, there are a few places, aren't there, in Latin America, where crypto is, because of various quirks with the banking system, um, crypto is becoming uh, common currency yeah very very much so but el salvador is the first really to to allow crypto and especially in particularly bitcoin to become legal tender and really this is to do with the fact that this kind of maverick president Nayib Bukele is is fairly desperate to get foreign investment into the country so he's taken a big gamble and he's attempted to get a steal you know, a steal a march on 
uh, other countries by actually declaring it legal tender. Their currency already wasn't really, you know, worth very much. Well, I mean, it was based on the – they used the U.S. dollar there because their own previous currency uh, wasn't really up to much and, and massively volatile. So it, it – in you know, many experts would say that it wasn't really that much of a risk at all. But the, the fact that um, it is now driving a lot of Bitcoin and crypto investment into the country suggests that Bukele has actually, you know, done something right. Because um, certainly real estate prices, especially in certain areas where the more international uh, community kind of individuals would be interested in, in investing in, have gone through the roof. In part, it's Bitcoin. It's also partly the whole COVID thing where a lot mm. of people were fed up with lockdowns in uh, the USA, in, in Canada and so on, and, and decided to to invest abroad. But yeah, I, I thought I'd, I'd take uh, Jed because I think, Jed, it's, this is your time uh, now, finally, to come over this way. Citizenship by investment. If you invest $100,000, what is it, 75, 80 grand, you know, in a property, you can automatically yeah. get... Yeah, you know, sell up there, sell up in Morecambe, uh, and come over to to San Salvador. There's this there's this beach uh, about half an hour um, south of uh, of San Salvador of the airport. Um, you know, not that much of a drive, and it's a very famous beach. It's one of the most uh, you know the most famous international surf spots uh, in in the world, and it's called El Sonte. Uh, and so that's the real high end, I guess of um, of, of the property market there, especially in terms of, you know, the coastal properties and so on. And everything there is is purchasable uh, by Bitcoin mm. as well as a US dollar. Bitcoin, and a simple yeah. beachside, yeah, a simple beachside villa there will set you back about 120k uh, sterling and a, a massive ocean view, five bedroom house, 400,000 pounds. And then uh, I thought I'd throw in, uh, you know, because I, I don't really know. Jed's financial wherewithal or quite how much Bitcoin he has, but I th- thought I'd throw in a cliffside property, property with 283 ocean views at £750,000. Uh, yeah. uh, so, you know, the, the full range uh, to tempt uh, to tempt Jed to, to finally uh, yeah, begin to, to, yeah. to step yeah. over the water. Oh, I think he's oh, got 40, 45 quid, isn't it? It's 45 quid, isn't it, that you've got, Jed? Yeah, a little bit more than that. I mean, I wrote it past the wife in the morning, but I'm, I'm sure uh, her, her last word will be off. Um, but um, I'll work on it. Yes, it's um, <laughs> yeah. a beautiful cliff-top property. And that be, I mean, it, it's no Pultonly filed, but uh, <laughs> no. it's... Certainly is spectacular. <laughs> now, looking at the uh, uh, the sport uh, in Latin America, it's the uh, CONCACAF uh, Champions League, uh, the uh, Seattle uh, one, which uh, is the first time in 17 years that a Mexican club failed to uh, win the tournament. It is. Had you heard of the Seattle Sounders before? Because I'd never had. Yes, I have, because we, we regularly link up with uh, Ryan Harris, who um, has been working for KOMO News Radio in Seattle uh, for some time. and lives in Seattle, so he talks to us about the Seattle Sounders, uh, you know, quite a bit. Ah, so I'm, I'm ashamed now by la- my lack of uh, Major League <laughs> Soccer knowledge. My, my soccer knowledge ends in Tijuana, unfortunately. Yeah. But yeah, no, the, the Sounders beat the Pumas uh, from the UNAM, from the National Autonomous University of Mexico, uh, 3-0 in the return after a 2 all first leg at the Estadio Olimpico in, in Mexico City. Uh, as you say, first time in, this is the first time in 16 years that a Mexican side has not won this. Uh, yeah. The Pumas are an interesting side uh, anyway because they are ostensibly a university team uh, that grew and grew and grew and are fanatically supported by the national uh, autonomous university and generally have amazing... Um, 
amazing sides that, uh, that that they put out. And it, you know, to all accounts, everybody expected them to win, but the Sounders certainly took them to cleaners in the uh, in the return leg, and not since LA Galaxy won in 2000 as an MLS uh, side side one this other mm. Champions League, the Concacaf. Champions League. I mean, no surprise really that the Mexican sides tend to win it because yeah. um, because there's nobody really else, you know, in this kind of northern hemisphere that is actually any good other than the MLS teams. Uh, so, but yeah, it, perhaps it portends to uh, a, a, a new era of dominance from football sides north of the border, and I will start to pay more attention. <laughs> well, the, I mean, the MLS is improving, there's no doubt about that, and uh, you know, there's obviously more investment and all that, so uh, it, it's not as surprising, uh, you know, as it might appear on the uh, on the surface. Um, just one final um, story is uh, the fact, well, I mean, it was in all the papers over here, it was front page picture in a lot of the papers, and that's uh, the uh, Hand of God shirt, which um, Steve Hodge swapped with Maradona at the end of that uh, uh, of that World Cup match when uh, when his hand, with his hand of God goal and then his brilliant goal after that uh, has gone for seven million pounds a little bit more than that I think yeah remarkable the most expensive piece of sporting memorabilia now in history since the sale of the um, uh, of the Olympic Charter that was written in, in 1892, which also you know, achieved a record amount. Um, uh, people, interestingly, the news from Argentina here is that people are questioning whether it was mm. the only shirt, whether it's the most valuable shirt, because was it the shirt? Because they, people, they, they're arguing uh, that, that a shirt change tends to happen at half time. So was it the first half shirt? Was it the uh, which is less valuable? Or was it the second half shirt which he scored the goals with? And where is that one? And so on. But Sotheby's uh, apparently have done um, an in-depth investigation into the footage of the match and have declared that it is, in fact, the shirt that Maradona scored. Uh, well, it's only one goal with and then the other, you know, obviously infamously uh, scored or didn't score with. I quite like the description that Sotheby's came up with where they, they wrote in the in the in the pre uh, in the pre-sale blurb that it was in good overall condition, consistent with heavy use, perspiration and athletic activity. Yeah. Well, Steve Hodge, who's uh, who I assume gets this. I mean, he donated it to a museum uh, initially, but now it's been sold. We'll get the seven and a half million pounds. Um, I appeared on a show with uh, Steve uh, here at uh, Talk Sports uh, probably about 10 years ago now. Um, and I just thought to myself, well, Steve, you know, when I saw this sale, I thought, Steve won't need to be toddling into talk sport for a 50 quid appearance fee anymore on any programs. But maybe he'll do it just for the um, just for the love of it. As, um, yeah, as a for, for ages, he said he wasn't going to, you know, under no circumstances was he going to sell it. He said it was at the National Football Museum in Manchester for, for 20 years. But he was increasingly annoyed about people asking him about whether he was going to sell it or not and said, you know, under no circumstances and until he did.
Yeah, I think once it once it got talked up uh, as to how much it was going to go for, then I suppose it got to you know it's very much like you know the Godfather. You know there was an offer he couldn't refuse when it went that high, and uh, it actually sold for way more than they expected. I think I think they'd estimated about four million or something, and it went for yeah. The reserve seven, price was four million pounds, and then yeah. it achieved well you know seven point one, so it almost double the expected yeah. amount. Yeah, well, well done, Steve. You did because <laughs> the other players yes. were f- furious with him when he swapped shirts with Maradona. You know, or cheating. He was cheating. You can't swap shirts with a cheat. Ah, well, you know. And it, it appears that he made the right decision. I'm just wondering what some yes. of those other players are thinking at the moment. <laughs> at the moment, uh, now that he's made uh, seven and a half million. Anyway, thanks uh, ever so much, John. Do appreciate it, and um, we'll talk again next week if that's okay. No problem. Talk soon. Good man. Good man. There is John Bonfilio uh, joining us from Campeche in Mexico.